this episode, we're joined by two awards-nominated filmmakers. Here's Pippa Ehrlich on her film's unusual female star. Craig's quite an incredible character in that he doesn't want to be centre stage. Um, and he's, his, his thinking is quite feminist as well. So as he was telling the story, it was important for him to always be respectful of putting the octopus's story first um, and, and speaking of how much she taught him uh, as opposed to the other way around. And we also welcome Shannon Murphy, director of Girls on Film favourite, Baby Teeth. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today we're diving behind the scenes of two female-focused films, My Octopus Teacher with co-writer and co-director Pippa Ehrlich and Baby Teeth with director Shannon Murphy. Both of these films are on Netflix UK now. My first guest is Shannon Murphy, who's been nominated for a Best Director BAFTA Film Award for Baby Teeth. We previously interviewed the film's star, Eliza Scanlon, about her role as Miller, and you can listen to that in episode 46. Baby Teeth is a darkly humorous drama that finds seriously ill teenager Miller falling in love with drug dealer Moses, played by Toby Wallace. It also features flawless and bitterly funny performances from Ben Mendelsohn and Essie Davis as Miller's parents. Well, Shannon, welcome to Girls on Film. Thanks for having me. Well, we've wanted to get you on for a long time, as you know, because of big fans of Baby Teeth. And may I say, massive congratulations on being nominated for Best Director at the BAFTAs. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really stoked. It's so cool. And not just you, but four female directors nominated. And does it feel like times are moving on gender-wise to you? Is that something that you think about? Uh, it is something I think about. I I find it actually really emotional to have um, been nominated against... Um, three other women. I think that's a very powerful message, um, you know, to the industry and to the world that our um, work is excellent and really worth considering along there with our male contemporaries. So I think it's it's um, something to be really happy about for sure. It really does feel like a momentous occasion. So we are, we're just so excited. Finally, what we've been talking about and working for is happening, um, campaigning for. You guys have been doing the work. You've been actually directing the great films. Um, now, briefly, if any of our listeners haven't seen Baby Teeth yet, can you sum it up for them, please? Yes, it's a film about how good it is not to be dead yet. I need to ask you this. I'm trying to put some money together to get a bed in a shelter. I only got 50. 50? That's too much. I can't. Can I Uh, no, no, no. 50's okay. If I give you 50, you have to do something for me. Is this a style? I was going for rat's tails. You look like a different person. What have you done with my daughter? I killed her. Oh, my God. <clears throat> What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You make a habit of befriending girls that are significantly younger than yourself. Oh my god! Mila's obsessed with that boy. She's a smart girl. Mila? That boy has problems! So do I! 
What are you looking at? Piss off. Oh, God. I lost my hair. It looks cool. It's like way better than the one that I gave you. No. <laughs> And it's got an amazing cast. Tell me about your cast. Um, I'm really fortunate to have two Australian legends of um, film and television and even theatre, uh, Essie Davis and Ben Mendelsohn, and uh, along with them are two up-and-coming stars, uh, Eliza Scanlon and Toby Wallace. Um, and so I think this co combination of incredible experience and um, sort of very excited new youthful energy are what make the the family dynamics um very engaging it really is a film that everyone i've recommended it to has called me up emailed me tweeted me said either thank you so much or i can't stop crying or a combination of both but at the end they're always just so moved um obviously it's based on a play tell me what grabbed you about that play uh i think you know like any sort of great theatre or film experience, even reading a play for the first time. Uh, for a director, I think it really clicks when you find that the first read is such a special experience. And it is an experiential story. I think you feel like you go through so many different emotions and fall so deeply in love with these characters that for me, I just knew I didn't want to leave them at the end of that story. I was so devastated that my time with them had finished that I just went, there's no other option. I have to make this film so that I can just spend years of my life um, being with these <laughs> imaginary characters. Um, and Rita had done an incredible job of the screenplay and she'd written the original play as well. Um, and I also just knew that I would want to continue to work with this writer for the rest of my career because I think her voice is so unique and her very dark sense of humour is very much aligned with, aligned with mine. I'm very excited to hear you're going to continue working together. This is, this is amazing. Um, now, we love to celebrate complex female characters um, in Baby Teeth. Indeed, that well, all the characters in Baby Teeth are complex and interesting. But if we could focus a little bit on, on the women... Um, tell me what interested you about them. I think, um, you know, Anna for me was such a fascinating character because I think, um, you know, crafting a very complex mother that is someone who is both so giving and loving of her daughter, but also extremely selfish and preoccupied in her own creative world. And in many, in, you know, in her past life, she was a diva pianist and now she's having to sacrifice herself and, and give everything to her daughter who's terminally ill. Um, and at the same time, she's really not coping with that. You know, um, Miller and Anna have been in this amazing duet their entire lives and at this moment she's feeling her slip away from her both um, emotionally and, and literally and, and so she is grasping and behaving in some ways so appallingly but she but I wanted people to watch it and go oh I would do the same like of course I'd be popping pills it would be just too harrowing to have to live through that and I knew that um, Essie would be able to do that without any judgment Anna, for me, is the most complex character in the story, for sure. I'll just make you feel sick. Just make you sick. These ones for codeine in them. These ones make you feel calmer. 
I won't tell anyone. Come Mom! Coming, sweetheart! Go, go, go. Mila? What I love about her is she is far from the typical mother in what people might think of as like a film about a kid with cancer. And obviously this is very far from that film, but she's so, so refreshing. And also so funny. Like, I think that's what's amazing too, you know. Um, often we portray people who are abusing drugs in a very serious and dark um, manner. But actually, as we all know, when people are taking um, opiates or, you know, whatever they're on, um, they're incredibly entertaining. And so that's something that I think is celebrated in the film as well. It's not all, um, uh, you know, tragic. In fact, for the people on them, it can be, you know, a party for one. And that's what Anna is experiencing at that dinner table. Um, and you know, also the complexities of being raised by someone who deals with their pain in that way and also has a father who's prescribing those meds. I mean, that's a very um, uh, disturbing negotiation that they have as a couple um, in many ways. And I think the way Miller copes with it is incredibly interesting. She feels like the wisest person in that family um, and is stuck in that very difficult scenario that many people have been in in their lives where they're parenting their own parents. Yeah. You you mentioned the the comedy, which you're right, is it just escalates beautifully, and Essie is so so funny, particularly in a dinner party scene. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about getting that precarious balance um, right between comedy and drama? Yeah. Um... The great thing was the tone was definitely in the text, but then I made sure that with those actors that they all had that mischievous ability in them to push things further and further. Um, so, for example, in that dinner scene, the amazing way that Essie delivers, you know, what have you done with my daughter? Like she kind of like contorts herself into like this gremlin for a moment and it's just so out there um but so perfect and of course on the day when we were doing it and she would sort of keep shifting her performance and doing things like that you know their responses to that moment are completely natural and just exactly what you know I captured <laughs> because they couldn't believe what was going to come out of Essie at any moment either, you know. And so that's the wonderful thing when you can set up that level of freedom um they they can be very playful and you have many, many options in the edit. But that dinner table scene was so claustrophobic um, and fantastic because we're introducing everyone's dynamic in, in that foursome and um, they're all sort of miscommunicating uh, and yet there's this incredible chemistry that's clearly happening between Moses and Miller, which is so threatening to, to the parents. And what's so great about the story is, you know, so many things that they would never let happen. Um, they are having to, you know, shift their, their boundaries constantly because of the situation that Miller's in. Um, and so it's great watching people panic under that kind of stress. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Um, are there any other particularly memorable moments on set for you? I mean, one of my favourite ones about that particular dinner scene was when Ben accidentally dropped his spoon and then he shocked himself and kind of burst out laughing and so did everyone else. And I went, oh, that's completely going to stay in there. Um, and it's actually, that actually even makes the trailers every time, which makes me laugh. Um, oh, 
there are so many scenes that I love. I, mean, I really love a very quiet scene between Moses and Anna where she crawls under the piano and he sniffs the sheets and says how wonderful they smell. And for that moment, they both connect in a really beautiful way where she can see what her daughter sees in him. And she can also see the little boy who has lost his way with his own family and his mother. And he can see the incredible love that she has for Miller. And it's just such a tender scene that I always loved on the page, but it was one of those ones that on the day when we were shooting it, I was just so proud of. Is there anything else you'd like to highlight on Baby Teeth before I ask you about your other work? Maybe some of your heads of department, because I understand you work with a lot of great women. Yes. Um, there are some um, incredible uh, women who are HODs on this that I love working with. Cherie Phillips, our designer, is extraordinary. And what I love about Cherie is her degree is actually in criminology. And so she studies characters like she's investigating them um, like she would for a crime scene. And um, she goes into their incredible um, detail of their past lives and and all their artifacts in the house. And she builds such a, a lush, you know, uh, design world for them. And with, you know, this house that we uh, had, everything pretty much in there is Cherie. And her whole story about how Anna used to travel the world and they used to be quite bohemian and have parties pre um, Miller and Miller getting sick and all of that. I thought, think you can really see and feel and, and the creative energy of that family. Um, Amelia Gebler, who is our costume designer, is incredibly bold with her choices always, with her patterns and her colours and her connection to um, younger characters I always feel is so authentic and I love that um, about the look of baby teeth. Um, I've always said to them, you know, do something you've never done before and let's push each other as far as, far as we can because what's the point otherwise in, in doing work really? Angela Conti, who's our hair and makeup um head is just unbelievable. I've worked with her in the past on a TV series called On the Ropes. And she's just, again, it's about a boldness, you know, she'll go, oh, just give them an undercut. Let's break Moses's skin down. Let's give him a whole bunch. Let's put a tattoo on his face, you know? And you just go, wow, love it. And so she's always really stretching, you know, the, the body is text and, and so many other interesting ideas. I can drop you at home after this, Moses. Oh, no, I, I don't want to put no, you out. No trouble. I can do it after I drop me low at school. Hey, Moses, I don't know if you make a habit of this or not, that is, befriending girls that are significantly younger than yourself, but Miller's in a very vulnerable situation. Goddamn! I really want to talk to you about your next project because it's a book that I've read and loved, and it's the TV series of The Power How's that all going? Oh, it's wonderful. Um, it's such a, you know, um, ambitious and sort of epic story and um, definitely the largest production I've ever been on. And um, also working with all female directors is amazing and having Reed Morano set it up is really exciting. She's a complete role model um, for me and exploring a story that is so 
you know, so relevant and so part of the movement that we are really, you know, pushing for at the moment um, as feminists. I think it's bringing up a lot of really big questions and, um, you know, uh, just so complex. And I, I'm so excited by the, the characters I'm getting to explore. Uh, and I just, yeah, I can't wait to see what the response is like when this has all come together. Um, because I just think it could be one of those really magical sort of TV experiences that, um, you know, is unlike anything we've seen yet on our screens. Wow. Okay. I'm even more excited now. Like everyone I know that has read the book is so fired up to see this, but that sounds amazing. Um, will you come back on Girls on Film and talk to us about it when it comes out? Oh, 100%. Hooray. Yeah. Thank you. And meantime, best of luck um, with Baby Teeth at the BAFTAs. I know you won't like be there in person, will you? Nobody will be, I don't think. No, I'll be in quarantine in Sydney. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, not so glamorous, is it? No. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry about that. Well, I hope you get to drink something nice and eat something nice and dress up a little bit and have a fun night. Thanks, I will. And um, go baby teeth. Thanks again, Shannon, for joining us. Thanks so much, Anna. That was Shannon Murphy. My final guest is marine conservation journalist and filmmaker Pippa Ehrlich. She's the co-director of My Octopus Teacher, which is up for Best Documentary Feature at the Oscars and the EE BAFTA Film Awards. It follows diver Craig Foster as he forms an unlikely friendship with an octopus who's living in the underwater kelp forests of South Africa. I remember the day when it all started, seeing this really strange thing. A lot of people say an octopus is like an alien. The strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realize that you're very similar in a lot of ways. It's a hard thing to explain, but sometimes you just get a feeling and you know there's something to this creature that's very unusual. There's something to learn here. I had to have a radical change in my life. And the only way I knew to do it was to be in this ocean with her. And then I had this crazy idea. What happens if I just went every day? It's a real treat to have you because we love the film. Um, Tell us more about My Octopus Teacher and how you got involved. Okay, so My Octopus Teacher is a 90-minute feature doc about a very unusual uh, human-animal relationship about my friend Craig Foster and the year that he spent with a wild octopus in the incredible great African sea forest where she lives. And I got involved with this project almost exactly four years ago. At that time, I'd kind of been freediving with Craig for about six months. Um, I became very interested in what he was doing because I was fascinated by cold thermogenesis and I was a marine conservation journalist at the time. And I was really interested in in how Craig could interpret his environment. Um, I went out on a few early dives with him and I'd never seen someone who was able to move through nature and pick things up in the way that he could. And that's 
all about this technique he's been developing called, called underwater tracking, which is something that he, he learned during his time uh, in the Kalahari whilst doing his first film. So about six months into that process, uh, by then I'd, I'd adapted to the cold and, and I was getting quite good at, at filming and taking photographs underwater. And Craig had told me like brief things about this experience he'd had with this very special octopus that he'd known, but he'd never told me the full story. And one day he just said to me, look, uh, I know I haven't made a film for a really long time, but this is a really incredible story. And I think we could have something here. And he sent me the treatment. And at the time I had a, had a full-time job at a marine conservation organization. And I remember sitting at my desk and there were just tears rolling down my cheeks. And something about that story just resonated me on a level resonated with me on a level that I couldn't explain. Um, and from that point, even though we had no funding and no guarantee if we would ever finish the film, there was just absolutely no way that I could say no. Um, yeah, so we started, we started working on a, a script and we started going through all of the rushes and here we are four years later. And I bet you're glad you just took the plunge, as it were. <laughs> it's always easy to work to look backwards and say, uh, you bet you're glad you took the plunge. And, I, and the process of making this film was one of the, certainly from a professional point of view, the most incredible thing I've done in my life. You know, the, the privilege of making a film on your doorstep is that you get to go into the place that it's made every single day, which is very unusual in natural history. Normally you agree to cover a subject, you give yourself three weeks on location, and then there's a lot of pressure to get all the shots that you need. We were really lucky in that not only did we have a massive archive of footage um, from the, the time that Craig had spent with the octopus, because you know by the time I met him, she'd already died. Um, but we were literally on the doorstep of this incredibly beautiful underwater world, and, and we were going in every single day, sometimes to film, but sometimes just because it's, it's, it's part of Craig's practice, and, and there's now a whole community of us who, who have this practice of, of diving with no wetsuit every day. Um, and getting to know an environment like that is a completely transformative experience and something that we really tried to bring across in making the film. Um, and something that I thought about early on is, well, if, if we do nothing else with the story, if we can just give our audience a glimpse of what it's like to be underwater in that environment, surrounded by all of these incredible alien creatures, um, then we would have done a, a really good job. And, and that's why we had this very experiential and immersive approach to how we were going to tell the story. She jets up in the canopy and she's wrapping many leaves of kelp tightly around her body and then just peering out. It does feel magical and intimate. And I, I think you're right, there's something about we're almost experiencing this relationship evolve with him. How did you manage to create that, that sense of recreate in a way, that sense of intimacy between them? Because it really is tangible. Yeah, I, th I think it's a combination of the incredible footage that Craig had gathered um, and the way that he gathered it because, you know, Sometimes he was in the in the kelp forest with 
Roger Horrocks, who's a professional cameraman and a very, very good friend of his. But most of the time he was out there on, the, on his own. Uh, a lot of the interaction you see between him and the octopus was self-filmed. So the, the footage has this incredible authenticity to it. Um, and then I suppose the fact that just, just by virtue of being underwater, the kelp forest is this un unbelievably immersive three-dimensional environment that very few people have seen like this. Um, and we try to bring that authenticity into every phase of the filmmaking, uh, from the visuals, from the fact that we wanted our topside shots, which were filmed by an amazing cinematographer called Warren Smart, but we wanted that topside world to have the same magical quality as the underwater world. In all of our sound and music, we recorded kelp forest sounds and underwater sounds from the kelp forest itself and used those to create our soundtrack. And then I think what was really important was uh, when James Reed, my, my co-director came involved, uh, came on board, unlike me, he hadn't, he, you know, he'd, he'd seen a cut of the film, but he had not really spent much time with Craig. Um, and, and Craig had never told him the story. So when they sat down for that three-day interview, earlier cuts of the film we were telling in voiceover, but we realized that it would be much more powerful if we had a kind of first-person account. So James sat, sat Craig down, and for three days, he went into every single detail of that story, and they meandered and, and came back to different things. And, but what you can feel is... James's experience of, of hearing the story for the very first time. Um, and, and Craig's, it's as if Craig was telling it for the very first time. And I think uh, it's a testament to just how incredible that interview was, that things come across as um, immersively and intimately as they do. That's a really interesting point. So telling it to someone new in a way really helped make it feel incredibly fresh. Um, for him. Exactly. Yeah, that really works. Yeah. And I, I love this is Girls on Film. And I love that this is about an incredibly intelligent female creature. Um, do, do you think, in a way, that it's a feminist film? I love that you say that. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and one of the early comments that we got back, you know, it, it, this was a strange film to put out into the world because there were no in person screenings. So we didn't get a whole lot of feedback. Um, before the kind of festival run started. And one of the very first festivals that we entered was, was called EarthX. And uh, when, they, when they gave us the award for best feature, one of the judges, uh, her name's Tamali Kodakara, and she runs, she runs a feminist podcast. And what she said was, this is a feminist film. And she said, it's, it's a celebration of motherhood. And I thought that was really beautiful and quite an unexpected outcome for a film about an octopus. Um, and I think, yeah, look, Craig, Craig's quite an incredible character in that he doesn't want to be center stage. Um, and he's, his, his thinking is quite feminist as well. So as he was telling the story, it was important for him to always be respectful of putting the octopus's story first um, and, and speaking of how much she taught him uh, as opposed to the other way around. 
I love that our feminist take on film is extending to an octopus now. This is this makes me really happy. Um, but it yeah. is, you know, it is a really, really powerful thing to watch. And it also made me think about the connection that I've had with animals and pets. Um, have you formed close bonds with pets or other animals? And has this has making this film enhanced that? I mean, of, of course, I grew up with I grew up with a number of, of dogs and cats that I loved very, very much and, and spent a lot of time with. I think, I think a wild animal is quite different. Uh, I think it's, it's an enormous privilege to be able to get close to an animal like this. Of course, it takes a lot of dedication to, to go back and visit that animal every day. But the fact that she let him into her world to the extent that she did was really quite remarkable and made an incredible impression on Craig. And I haven't had that with one specific animal in the wild, but I've had numerous experiences where, you know, you'll be swimming through the kelp forest and suddenly there's an otter and this is a completely wild otter. But for whatever reason, it's as interested in you as you are in it. And it'll swim up to you and look you in the eyes and, touch your fins and kind of slide over your back uh, and just give you an insight into what it's doing and, and how it thinks. Um, and those are very, very rare experiences. So you, you, you're lucky when they happen, but yeah, it's, I suppose it's, it's like a doorway into a world that you never expected to experience. Um, and you, you absolutely you have that with domestic animals and, and you get to know them very, very well, but they're experiencing a similar world to you. So to experience wilderness through an interaction with a completely wild creature uh, is something else. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of magic. I remember there was a strange shape to my left and just going down and seeing this really strange thing. The fish even seem to be confused. Suddenly, at the time, I didn't know I'd witnessed something extraordinary. I come in at the end of a whole drama. Let's talk a little bit about gender and filmmaking because more female filmmakers have been nominated this year as we know including yourself massive congratulations at several awards um, thank you very much do you think um this is the way forward do you think things are actually properly starting to change now um in in terms of gender parity i really hope so um and i mean i feel very lucky because this is my first film and i've just had this incredibly easy ride in many respects but, uh, you know, I can see, and, and I think it's especially true in the natural history world, it's, it has been difficult for, for women's voices to be heard in the past and also for, 
these kinds of stories to be told in this way, um, you know, the, especially in natural history, often the, the emphasis is on hunting and, and animals defending their territories. Um, so to focus on things like motherhood, on building trust, um, on, and I, and this is not, this is, but, but on more feminine qualities around, I don't know, collaboration and reciprocity and even emotional openness. Um, I think it's really important uh, that, that we start telling stories in this way and that it, it, to, to create a different vision for how the world can operate um, that's based on power working in a different way is very, very important. And especially when it comes to environmental films, especially given the environmental crises that we face today, um, we need to have a more collaborative, um, and, I, and I think women are very good at that, and reciprocal approach to our relationship with nature and how we express that relationship with nature. It's beautifully put. And if you think of a film like Nomadland, which is obviously a female filmmaker and doing well in awards season, that there's, there's an element of compassion to that. And for some reason, I also feel there's a comparison with the film For Sama and your film, of course, that did very well in awards season last year, but that was taking a completely different, much more feminine and personal approach to a serious subject. Um, and what's your advice to young filmmakers when you meet them, particularly young women? I think... Uh, find a mentor. I think that's, and, and maybe it's easy to say, but it's, this is not an easy career to have. Um, and you need someone who's in your corner, not just to teach you things that you wouldn't otherwise know, otherwise know or to connect you with the right people, but to encourage you and to help you build your own confidence in what you're doing. Um, and I've been incredibly lucky to have, you know, a whole host of mentors during the process of making this film. And, uh, and one of them is um, Jinx Godfrey, who came on board as, as our edit consultant. And, you know, she, she got involved quite late in the process. And we were really in, in the final phase of, of getting to picture lock. Um, and to have someone who was that experienced and that thoughtful, who could really just talk you through every single frame of the film just about um and not in a prescriptive way but in a but take you through a process of critical thinking to arrive at the right decision was really incredible and the second thing i would say is only work on a story that is burning a hole in your heart because if you don't care about it as much as you've ever cared about anything in your life uh, you might not have the energy that you need to finish. That seems like incredibly good advice. Thank you. Um, listen, what else are you working on at the moment? What's what's the next thing for you? Uh, there, there are a few things in the works. I am part of this organization called the Sea Change Project, and the, the film was made under an umbrella of their work. What we're really trying to do is create a kind of global iconic status for the sea forest because... 
up until this film, I think very few people had ever heard of, of the Great African Sea Forest. Very few people had heard of kelp forests at all. And what a lot of people don't know is that 25% of our global coastlines uh, are covered with kelp forests. And they're incredibly important ecosystems for sequestering carbon. Uh, they are havens for a massive amount of abundance and biodiversity. And they're very vulnerable to climate change. Uh, in places like Tasmania, entire kelp forests have disappeared in, in a matter of years. So we're re really just trying to get enough public support and public knowledge in place so that we can keep our kelp forest as healthy as it is. Um, yeah, that's, that's my main work at the moment. And of course, when you make a film like this, especially when it's your first film, the job's not done after the film launches. Uh, you, you have to journey with that film for quite a long time. Um, and, you know, answer the questions that people have about, about the story. Well, it certainly seems like a film that, on your own advice, you have been very passionate about, and understandably so. Um, and best of luck in award season. And thank you so much for coming on to Girls on Film and sharing your story, Pippa. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. Thanks for having me. Somehow she realises this thing is not dangerous. So you go and you interact with this human. And perhaps it does give you some strange octopus level of joy. That was Pippa Ehrlich. You can watch My Octopus Teacher and Baby Teeth Now on Netflix UK. Do tune in soon for more fun feminist film chat from Girls on Film and follow us on social media for a daily film recommendation. We also have a Patreon page with videos to check out. It's patreon.com forward slash Girls on Film podcast. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Heather Archbold, audio producer Tom Wally, assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana Jay, and our principal partner Peter Brewer. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by filmmakers Pippa Ehrlich and Shannon Murphy. See you soon and stay safe. This is the worst possible parenting I can imagine.